0: This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review I Am an Elastic Firecracker by Tripping Daisy.
1: They're definitely trying to do the psychedelic thing. But I think my problem is that on several of these songs, it gets really numb.
2: Demented Ozzy Osbourne laugh. I'm not really feeling anything here. I think this album was probably as big as it should have been. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I am your host, Tim Minnichi, and joining me once again, my co host, Jason Ziak. Jay, we are back with another listener suggestion. Seems like that's what uh, all we've been doing lately is listener suggestions. Makes me think we actually have a, a couple listeners. That's weird. Which is weird. What's wrong with these people? I don't know. Don't they have something else to do? Uh, no, that's that's nice that people actually do take the time to send us in a suggestion. We've got a lot of good ones. We've discovered a lot of cool music that we would not have otherwise heard of. On this particular episode, we are going to review a band that we had heard of, but I don't don't know, maybe this is not your experience, Jay, but I heard probably the same song everybody else heard, and then I never listened to the album. And I'm talking about Tripping Daisy and their album, I Am an Elastic Firecracker. And the song, of course, is I Got a Girl. Now, Jay, is that the same predicament? Did did you hear the single and go, that's nice, and then move on?
1: (laughs) Yeah, they were one of those bands that uh, I I think grouped together with um, a lot of uh, sort of one-hit alt-rock, one-hit wonders that there seemed to be in the mid to late 90s. So I I was familiar with the song, but uh, with a lot of those bands, never went past that single.
2: Yeah, that's pretty, pretty much the same thing. I honestly at first got them confused with the Flaming Lips. I thought it was uh, another She Don't Use Jelly type of song, which I'm not the only one who thought that, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But first, why don't we do the history of the band?
0: History of the band.
2: Tripping Daisy was formed in Dallas, Texas in 1990 by Tim DeLautner on vocals and guitar. Wes Berggren on guitar, Mark Pirro on bass, and Jeff Bauk on drums. Two years later, Brian Wakeland replaced uh, Bauch on drums. Their first album, entitled Bill, was released in 1992 on Dragon Street Records. Shortly thereafter, they signed to Island Records. And in June of 1995, they released their second album, which we are reviewing, I Am an Elastic Firecracker. At this point, Wakeland was replaced on drums by Mitch Marine. And Phil Karnatz joined the band on guitar, trumpet, and banjo. Now, Marine toured with the band, but then he was later replaced by Ben Curtis. So let's just, in five years, basically, they went through like four or five drummers. Right there. Which I think is kind of average. Uh, Their third album, Jesus Hits, like the Atom Bomb released in July of 1998, also on Island Records. This is where the story turns tragic. The following year, October of 1999, Wes Berggren was found dead of a drug overdose. The band was actually in the middle of finishing their follow-up album to uh, their third release. Berggren's father, Don, ended up playing Rhodes Piano on one song, and the band broke up that December, of 1999. They posthumously released their self-titled fourth album in April of 2000 on the Sugar Fix label. DeLautner, Pirro, and Wakeland went went on to form the band The Polyphonic Spree. And the last drummer in the band, Ben Curtis, went on to form the band The Secret Machines. He played guitar and backing vocals in that band. And then he went on to Perform with the school of seven bells as a multi-instrumentalist and that is the history of tripping Daisy now there's a, a one significant piece of info I wanted to add with regards to uh, this album it was produced by Ted Nicely who is probably best known for working with Fugazi in the 1990s so that was, I thought that was interesting just because I don't hear a lot of crossover in the sound between Fugazi and Tripping Daisy. Uh, maybe you did, Jay, but I did not. Yeah. Uh, and we did get some Facebook feedback for this album. Sophia Dorval said, I had this album on cassette back in the 90s. I loved Raindrop, which is a, one of the songs on the album. Jake King says, amazing album. Asked us what we thought about the poly- Polyphonic Spree, and I commented that I didn't really have any strong feelings about them either way. Uh, Joe Royland chimed in. He said, I prefer Tripping Daisy to the Polyphonic Spree, and this remember this album, I remember getting a copy of it and thinking it was decent. I Got a Girl was one of those quirky alt-rock singles that seem a cousin or relation to the Flaming Lips. She don't use jelly, so that's what I was referencing earlier in the show. Haven't listened to it in some time, so I'll have to spin it before the show. Uh, And instead, his favorite song off the album was Trip Along. So we've got a couple different favorite songs from people. And then Chip Midnight says... Actually, he chimes in with a little story. The people that signed Tripping Daisy came to Columbus to scout bands shortly after Tripping Daisy put out Bill. I remember Whispers at Clubs. See those two over there? They signed Tripping Daisy. Wonder which Columbus band they're going to sign. I saw these guys in Cleveland at the Grog Shop with Best Kisses in the World... You'll have to review them for the trifecta and chainsaw kittens which chip is referring to as our previous review at least that's the memory i have and they were good put on a very theatrical show so we're gonna have to get to best kissers in the world at some point because i think that's a band that you're familiar with with correct no no i thought so at all no maybe i'm thinking blessed of union of souls is that the band that you're a fan of
1: (laughs) uh you know what i think i own their cd
2: Yes. Best Kisses in the World, Blessed Union of Souls. It's easy to get those two confused.
1: Uh, I will I will admit owning their CD, but I, I'll defend myself a little bit. And that that was during the, uh, you know, when the record clubs were still big. And the mm-hmm. uh, record club, and you'd have to, I can't remember, whatever. You had to pick like 18 CDs or something ridiculous when you signed up. Yeah. And that was one for the ones. I was like, oh, but this is about, I it. It was like, oh, boy. So I found myself a little bit there.
2: So cool. let's get into this album. Jay, here's my question to you. In revisiting Tripping Daisy, or actually, I guess, exploring the Tripping Daisy album, I Am an Elastic Firecracker for the first time, do you uh, regret not digging deeper into this album? Or do you think this was one better left to the one-hit wonder status?
1: Uh, in some ways... This is uh this is gonna be uh, a record for me that it's a little bit difficult to be objective about just because stylistically it's not really my cup of tea so I'm a little bit I'm not sure that I would have really ever found a ton of ton in this band that I really connected with um, trying to be more objective about it you know I think there's a couple songs on here that are that are good and it seems to be the ones that actually our listeners even pointed out as being um, among their favorites. But the bulk of the record, uh, especially the beginning and and the end, is very derivative for me of Jane's Addiction and Porno for Pyros, which I really wouldn't have expected from the single. You know, the single for me, and it's also derivative, I think, of um, Flaming Lips, which Mm -hmm. you mentioned. That's like a lot of songs sound like mashups between like Porno for Pyros songs with parts of songs from Flaming Lips. (laughs) Um, and then the middle, there's a middle section of three or four songs, which actually sounds like a unique band. It doesn't sound like, you know, either of those two bands anymore. And that's that's when it becomes the most interesting for me. Where are those
2: songs? What songs are you referencing exactly?
1: So from basically Six, Same Dress, New Day, through Raindrop. Okay. I think those three songs in particular sound like a, a, a unique band. I think vocally on this record, he's all over the place. Like, you know, he kind of does like a warbly kind of nasally whine at times. He he'll go a little bit low. Other times he'd play around with trying to do harmonies. And he and he also uses some of the I guess the vocal styles of Perry Farrell, even effects of Perry Farrell. And and in those moments, you know, I'm not really that interested. But those three songs, I think vocally he starts to sound like a himself. I feel feel at least a little bit more unique. In fact I think on Raindrop he even sings in a falsetto. Mm-hmm. And the kind of is is a little different and doesn't sound like anybody else especially for that time and now a lot of people are singing in falsetto in 1995. Overall, I found a lot of it derivative, um, except for those those songs, There's a couple in the middle.
2: Well, I guess I like this a little bit more than you did. I do remember when I was at the radio station playing Rocket Pop and Piranha as the, like the second single. We we had a choice of a couple songs we could play, and I would I would always choose either one of those to play. I really like Piranha. I like the beat. I, I think it's it's a cool, it's a jammy song without being jammy. There's not a, you know, a seven-minute-long guitar solo or anything, but it's got this, like, yeah, it could be a James Addiction-ish kind of jam from like yeah. Ritual album, the last album, or the, the last album with the original lineup, I guess that I should say. And I like Rocket Pop. I think it's a nice opener with. There's a lot of cool vocal ideas that are going on, and you mentioned that he's bouncing between sort of that warble, which I kind of think of like as like a sort of demented country almost he's getting into some weird you know psychedelic there's a lot of weird psychedelic music that's come out of texas all the way back to like the 1960s and i'm thinking like of those sorts of influences yeah and he's he uses the falsetto i think in that song he uses it well and he uses it in raindrop well and and that song to me sort of hits on everything that they do well You got. To, we have to talk about "I Got a Girl." It's a it's a great weird pop song. I mean, in the same way that "She Don't Use Jelly" is kind of a. It's actually a. I think a better song than "She Don't Use Jelly" in terms of being a weird '90s pop song. Which I would. I guess I'd put them in the same category as like "Ween," in terms mm-hmm. of weird pop songs that somehow broke through for um, presidents of the United States.
1: Yeah, that's a band that I thought of immediately, and, and mainly because of the songwriting technique that's in the song is very similar to what the President of the United States would do. So you'd pick, a, you'd pick a line, and you'd base the verse and the chorus on that line. So, you know, I got a girl, whatever, whatever, I got a girl, whatever, and then the chorus is, you know, that. And the, if you look at almost every hit that the President of the United States had, you know, uh, Pete was... Move to the country, you get a lot of peaches, blah, 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 blah. something more about peaches.
2: Lump. And
1: of the course, lump is the same way. Like they must say the word lump a thousand times. And that, you know, that's one of the formulas. I, I think it's actually probably based on like folk songwriting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Old folk songwriting. You know, that's that's a good format to use to write a hit song. Um, and, you know, there's, there's some other bands that in that period that did that too. I'm thinking of like um, Cracker Song. What the world needs now, you know, which is kind of funny because that's actually like poking, well, making commentary about folk songwriting, and they actually yeah. use that technique in that song where he keeps repeating that line over and over again, and you know, using it phrasing in the verses and the chorus. And uh, Material Issue is another band that you know had several songs that you know use uh, girls' names, so it's, it's a technique that it works. So, in that standpoint, it's not a uh, surprise to me that really in that time period that you know it did break through as as a hit the thing that's funny is that it's not really a technique that's ever used again on the record which i'm always puzzled by i think that oh you know a lot of these albums we review we sort of you know see that there's a very conscious decision maybe it's not conscious but there's a very like specific reason why the hit was a hit when you break it down into the you know the way this the song was um was written right and uh that's not done again, which is it's always puzzling to me. It's like, did they just stumble into that? Or did like a producer, was that song like sort of different, more like the rest of the album and did a producer come in and kind of talk them into how to rearrange it to make it more radio friendly? I'm, I'm always fascinated by that, but uh, it definitely doesn't really represent the, the songwriting on the rest of the album for sure.
0: I got a girl, she loves her dog. I got a
2: This would be an opportune time to have somebody from the band on cuz I would be interested to know if they basically sent a demo to Island or Island got a hold of a demo and that song was on there and they said, "Okay, we can work with this band cuz we hear this particular hit." Or if they actually signed them before anything was written and then they signed and then, you know, they get the finished album and they say, "Right, this is our single." Or if they didn't have that song originally and they said, "We need to hear a single" and they wrote that song as a single. Again, this would be a perfect time for that, but we don't we couldn't get anybody. Um, from the band on, so, eh, we're not going to know that.
1: The chorus is like you know, it's, it's pretty uplifting, and it mm-hmm. does. I'm not super familiar with Polyphonic Spree but obviously I've heard a couple songs, and it it starts to at least feel a little bit like them. Obviously not without the you know without guitars, but just the way the uh, the vocal is arranged and um you know the the melody there, you kind of start to see where you know Polyphonic Spree maybe came out of.
2: Definitely, and I I can't deny the fact that this is a band that's heavily influenced by, as you mentioned, the the early weird Flaming Lips, because, I mean, the Flaming Lips have been around since the mid-80s, and that, those early albums are really bizarre, very much in, like, the Butthole Surfers early vein, which was a, a Texas band, and the Jane's Addictions albums, and even Trip Along. I think there's a Jane's Addictions song called either Trip Along or something with Trip in the title, And that song and Prick, which is about nine minutes long. Yeah. It's a really interesting song. It has these weird, like, jazzy breakdowns in the middle of it, but it's got a really good guitar solo. Like, he hits the opening note, and it just sustains. He doesn't do anything. He just sustains that big open note, and then he goes into the guitar solo. And there's not a lot of soloing or anything on this record. This isn't... I wouldn't say... For a band that's got two guitars, it's not a guitar-heavy album in terms of showiness. I mean, they're effective and they've got riffs and stuff like that, but it's not—it's uh, not Dave Navarro, you know, playing all over Jane's Addiction songs. Um, yeah, I
1: think this is—that was probably the only song
2: that has any kind of extended guitar solo on it. And they—but they use it to, I think, a pretty effective end there. With he's able to build the drama with the uh, with the with the solo, and it and it doesn't sound like it's just tacked on or anything the one thing that did sound tacked on is the last song which it should have ended on prick and then they bring in this thing in track 12 high which just sort of fades in and it's quiet and then it fades out and
1: it's like a bad at writing a pink floyd song yeah (laughs) it just comes off as boring it's just there's nothing there
2: right and of course you mentioned pink floyd that's another obvious sort of Psychedelic influence. I mean, you could you could mention bands like the Thirteenth Floor Elevators, all the way to like Captain Beefheart and and those sorts of bands. But I'm just trying to think of in terms of, you know, these guys are in their 20s, I, I believe, when Jane's you know when this band formed, right around when Jane's addiction was sort of hitting on all cylinders, and yeah. when the Lips were making a name butthole surfers were already a band by, you know, sort of. So I, I don't know I don't know if they were going all the way back to those 60s and 70s bands or if they were sort of more influenced by what was going on around them and they were seeing these bands out live going to shows and be like, man, we should start a band.
1: They're definitely trying to do the psychedelic thing. I think my problem is that on several of these songs, it gets really numb. You know what I mean? And I understand that's, you know, numbness is part of psychedelic, you know, what you're playing with, but. You know, it, it sometimes just feels distant and doesn't really connect. So that's the problem, I think, between doing it, doing that sort of music well and not. I think there's like a, you know, when Jane's addiction gets into that territory, there's always a, myst- a mystique to it, a mystery about it. And Just there's a little bit of a dark tinge, and they quite don't, they don't quite have that um, all the time, especially vocally. So it just starts to feel like distant and just, you know, background noise and Maybe if you're you're know, <laughs> out of your mind on drugs, it all makes sense. But if you're not, it's just sort of like, yeah, I'm not really feeling anything here.
2: Yeah, I think that the darkness element is, is key. Uh, there was something like almost sinister about Harry Farrell and and some mm. of the stuff that he was doing. Whereas I, I feel like this is a much happier band, mm. um, which probably is not true. It's just more, I think, because of the delivery of Tim Delautner. Obviously, this is one of their band members. Died of a drug overdose it's probably uh a bit facetious to say that they were a happier band but yeah i definitely connected more with the uptempo stuff i agree that i think raindrop is one of the better songs on the record so i guess i'm both both the listeners that chimed in with their favorite it's songs short. trip along and, and raindrop
1: raindrop is short it's up-tempo. it's mm-hmm. got energy to it that no other song on the record has it frankly it, you know it It has a a bridge that is cheap trickish, you know, which is really from in terms of you know what this band is doing is from another planet almost, you know, so it really stands out. If somebody played that song for me and and told me who it was, I never would have believed them. You know, it's not it's not really in line with the rest of the album,
2: even on some of the slower and more mellow songs like motivation. I still think that they find interesting melodies and parts. I think. Motivation is a really big like pop chorus to that song. thing that loses me is they go into this bridge that has he's doing his like weird psychedelic country drawl which i don't particularly care for
1: well on that that note well i think it works on same
2: dress new day i I think yeah it
1: has a it reminds me of sparkle horse which is okay i'm not sure if you're familiar with but it has the same um a little bit of country kind of a distant country flavor on top of it but it's very, very like psychedelic and experimental. I felt like "Same Dress, New Day" was in the same territory. It has this really cool like warbly guitar lead that is very it catches your ear and, and draws you in, um, and it really helps complement his vocal style actually quite a bit. So that's that's an that's a song that's you know it's quieter, it's slower, but and it's experimental, but it still works because the pieces you know they come together in a unique way and they all play out. Okay off each other a lot more successfully than some of the other songs on the record
2: Uh, One of the other tunes I wanted to mention is Noose which I did like mostly because uh, Tim DeLautner does this like demented Ozzy Osbourne laugh on that song which I always appreciate a good demented rock song laugh whether it's it's, uh, Ozzy or uh, 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 Rob Dickinson in Way Down does it Yeah those, those were always fun. Yeah. Any last thoughts on I Am an Elastic Firecracker?
0: Uh,
1: Not really. I mean, I think this, it seems like a record where there's some, you know, passionate fans of it, which I found interesting because I, I, I think I was expecting it to be a little bit more uh, cohesive, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not, you know, I think it's, it's going in a couple different directions, so maybe that's what people like about it, you know?
2: So, if you're rating this, are you uh, giving it a worthy album, a decent EP? Wait, 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 worthy album, a good EP, or a decent single?
1: Uh, I would go with EP. You know, even "I Got a Girl." Uh, I know that was a bit of a hit, but I'm not really that into that song. You know, um, I'm like I said, I'm more into the that three or four songs in the middle there that sound like a more interesting band to me a cohesive band and the rest of the stuff i think is fairly derivative of either flaming Lips or jane's addiction or actually maybe a little less jane's addiction and more porno for pyros because you know i i think of, for pyros as being like a little less loud version of jane's addiction with a you know some leanings towards experimental percussion and mm-hmm. a little more songs that are a little more more drawn out and, and that sort of thing
2: I'm at an EP as well. I think I'm at a longer EP. I like like six to seven songs that I would I would consider re-listenable. I would say seven would be good. And then five, five I could live without. Five of them I'm not really that in love with. And if I didn't hear them again, I wouldn't really care. There are definitely parts within those songs that I think, oh, that's a really cool bridge or that's a nice chorus or what have you. But just overall, the song doesn't work for me. And usually when it's... Usually the song is sort of wrecked when he goes into that country psychedelic thing that he does that I don't particularly care for. (laughs) You know, somebody asked us recently why we don't do, why wasn't this album bigger? See, now this is an example where I don't think that we need to really go into that because I think this album was probably as big as it should have been. It's kind of a weird trippy album in a lot of parts it's got one really great single. It probably had a, a good backup single, not backup single, it had a second or third single, you know, with Raindrop and maybe Rocket Pop, but that's about it. I don't think that this album was destined for, you know, number one status on Billboard or anything like that. I think producing one good single was what this album uh, was capable of.
1: Yeah. yeah, and people who like that song, you weren't going to find another song like it on the album, as opposed to somebody like President of the United States, where, you know, if you like Peaches, the whole record is pretty much written like that. So yeah, they had like three or four more hits that were exactly like that song, you know. So when I pick the record up for that single, I get what I expected. And I think in this case, you don't necessarily get that. So
2: and we mentioned a lot of bands that we thought that people, if they're not familiar with the Flaming Lips. They are familiar with. It would probably lead them into listening to the Flaming Lips. Or sorry, not the Flaming Lips. Dripping Daisy. One of them is the Flaming Lips. We mentioned Jane's Addiction. We mentioned Porno for Pyros. Butthole Surfers. Um, and then we mentioned the older bands like Pink Floyd. Was there any modern bands that you thought of? I mean, obviously Polyphonic Spree is. A, I guess is considered a modern current band. They're around in the 2000s. They have a natural connection to this band. Uh, was there anybody else that you thought, oh, this, yeah, tripping daisies kind of in that vein?
1: Oh, boy. Not, not really. I mean, not that I'm familiar with. It's so like, I don't know. It's pretty It's pretty 90s sounding, you know. this. There's some moments where it goes in some of the quieter experimental stuff where it breaks out a little bit, but for the most part, you know, I'm thinking of the whole time listening to it, but all their contemporaries, not very much anything recent. How about you?
2: Uh, the only band and I, I, hate to bring them up again. Cause I think I brought them up like a week ago is yeah. MGMT. Um, hmm. I think a, a song like kids kind of reminds me of flaming lips, flaming lips. Hmm. I keep saying flaming lips, <laughs> tripping Daisy. <laughs> uh, is yeah, that's Freudian. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, they have a quirkiness that I, especially in their first record that I think works within this sound, but not a lot of other bands that are are really doing this sort of thing today, at least not as earnestly. If they are doing it, it's very sort of as, as, as kind of like a mashup pastiche of like samples and um, lots of beats and stuff like that. Like, I don't know, like Passion Pit or something like that, but not even, not even that band. That's that's probably a bad connection to make. Yeah,
0: it's think, a hard, it's a hard
2: band to connect to.
1: to. The band that, like a band like that. I mean, that's pretty much um, dominated by sort of the, the dance rhythms, right? And mm-hmm. but if you took those away, yeah, maybe you are getting pretty close just with what's left of the pieces of that band. Um, but it's Actually, so dominated by that. It's hard to, it's hard to make comparison to, to, you know, just a standard music listener.
2: Some of the later My Morning Jacket stuff kind of has a weirdness to it mm. that would not be that far off from some of this. Interesting, yeah. Not the early albums. I would say everything up to, like, Z. After Z, they started mm. getting into, like, some weirdness that's not just jamming and stuff like that, but some actual, like, weird vocal stuff and rhythms and whatnot yep. so well I think we have covered this album I Am an Elastic Firecracker by Tripping Daisy uh, if you like what you heard please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes and uh, we would uh, greatly appreciate it if uh, you don't like it just um, ignore us or we'll go away that's it for us Shane, I will be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're everywhere I've seen you everywhere I you, I my home. Wanna leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening. You told me you had the right-